Hey, let me pray. So, uh, God, we do believe, like we've said many times, we believe in the Holy Spirit. And we say that not as simply an affirmation of some intellectual truth. We say that as a desperate reality to our lives that we, we need the Holy Spirit. We don't only believe in the Holy Spirit. We need you, Holy Spirit, in our lives, stirring in our hearts, opening up our minds, opening up our ears and our eyes. So, Holy Spirit, as we look into uh, your, the Word today, your, your Word today, would you show us things um, through the eyes of our heart, through the ears of our heart? Would you help us see things and know things? And most importantly, would you show us what steps to take that will lead us to be transformed women and men who are fully alive with the Spirit of God in us? That's who we want to be because we want to be part of your world-changing mission to bring others to the love of God. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. So I've been doing a series, put the, I've been doing a series late, uh, since Pentecost. So Pentecost Sunday and the church calendar was what? But three weeks ago, two weeks, I can't remember what it was. So uh, the, the, the church colors, again, it's not biblical, it's just historical. Pentecost is always red because of the Holy Spirit. Um, technically, Pentecost Sunday is only one Sunday. Uh, they've changed that, whoever they are. Um, but I just, I'm going to be talking about Pentecost. And, I'm, and I had this title called The People of Pentecost. So every week I did, a diff, I've been doing, and I will do, different people from the book of Acts who, were, who their life was changed by the Holy Spirit, kind of. But I, I thought about the title, I thought, it sounds like a history lesson. The people of Pentecost, like the people of the revolution. Because I thought, it's not, it's not just we're going to study them then. Because that just feels like a, you know, history lesson. So then I, this week I was messing, then I changed to this title, This Can Be You. I thought, well, let's talk about the Holy Spirit. This can be you. If you, you know, you can be like Peter, you can be like, uh, you know, Philip and all these people. But what, I played with this for a couple days this week. I usually don't mess with my titles, but because they don't mean as much to me. But I played with this for a couple days, and it sounded like, well, if that can be me, then I must be doing something wrong. I must try harder. So I scrapped this title. My new working title is this. This is who we are. The book of Acts is who we are. It's not who you can be. It's who you already are. All right? So can be, when I thought about that, I thought, well, that makes it feel like if I can be, I, must need, I should try harder. But when I, say it, when I said it this way, this was middle of the week, I was thinking about this. Oh, this is the book of Acts. Peter. Philip. All the other characters in the book of Acts, that's who we are. That's who the church is. We are people who have the Holy Spirit in us. You know, Acts 1, where Jesus tells the disciples, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on. That's who we are. Acts 2, Peter tells them, hey, this is what's happening. God said, I'm going to pour out my Spirit on all people. That's who we are. We're the people the Spirit's been poured out on. We don't have to try to be those people. We are those people. Now, whether we're living in the same dynamics of that, there's other issues we probably have to think about, but, that, but that's who we are. In Acts 3, when Peter, he, he and Peter and John healed the guy, and the crowd gathered, and it says Peter stepped up because he saw the opportunity. Well, that's who we are. We are people with the Spirit of God in us who at times might see unplanned an opportunity to talk to somebody or to testify about Jesus. Not in a forced way, not in an awkward way, in an uncomfortable way, but it's an opportunity. But so when I think about these different, I mean, I'm kind of going through chapter by chapter, just finding different 
people in different situations, I thought, this is who we are. Now, I, I don't always take advantage of opportunities that God's put in front of me. I don't always see the opportunity. I don't always live in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, but that doesn't mean that's not who I am. So I'm just, identity-wise, these, all these different stories and people are going to look at, this is who we are. It's, it's not just our ancestors, it's who we are. And otherwise, we, if you read the book of Acts like a history book of, that's the history of people who did these incredible things when God was working in their lives. And then we think, well, I'm just on my own now. I'm not like that. No, that's who we are. That's, those aren't just our ancestors in the church. They, are, they had the Spirit of Christ in them. The Holy Spirit is the same as then as it is now. So um, my, thus my new title, which uh, I just want to say that's who we are. So Acts 4 is where we are today. So uh, we're talking about Peter and John. And again, we're going to look at them in a situation, and I'm reminding us that that's who we are. So if you were here a couple weeks ago, and if you weren't here, maybe you know the story. So in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are, this is post-Pentecost. Pentecost was the day the Holy Spirit came down and changed the whole world, changed the whole course of human, human experience. But Peter, weeks later, on, we don't know how much after Pentecost, but something was, some days, maybe weeks later, they're going to the the daily three o'clock prayer time at the temple. They still did their, some of their religious routines, but something was different about them. They had done this every day, probably for a long time. They were in Jerusalem for, still for Pentecost, so even though they grew up in the northern part of Israel, they were there. They knew, the, they knew the routines, all right? So they were going to the temple. There was a man who had been lame from birth. Uh, we find out later he was over 40 years old. He looked at Peter and John. They probably had seen him many times if they went to the temple every day. Held out his hand for money, had a cardboard sign, whatever he had, and said Peter and John stopped. And again, this is one of those things too. Somehow Peter knew he was supposed to do this in in a way that you and I can know God wants us to stop our agenda for the day and take a different route. But Peter said to the man who was lame, Silver or gold, I don't have any money, but I'm going to give you this. In the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. So again, it was an opportunity that Peter, I mean, he may have, I'm sure they had passed this guy many times. So why that day must have been something that Peter sensed the Holy Spirit was telling him now is the time for me to do some, for me to work. So, um, so again, it's not, about, it's not about doing things out of guilt. It's doing things out of the Holy Spirit must have prompted Peter to do something. So they heal the guy. He's, the Bible says he's leaping. He's walking around leaping and praising God. He actually runs over and hugs these guys, holds on to their legs. Like, and they say, no, we're not the ones who God healed you. All right. So then a commotion happened because whenever God does things, people are drawn to it because they think, when you even look at the history of revivals throughout history, when something starts happening that people know is supernatural, crowds gather. And that's where, you know, we, Peter saw the opportunity. But when the crowds gathered, so did the opposition. So in Acts chapter 4, so Peter and John had this crowd gathered. This was maybe, I don't know, we don't know exactly. It could have been five, six, seven weeks after Easter. Five, six, seven weeks as well after Jesus' arrest and crucifixion. When Jesus was arrested, he was brought to the high priest's house, Caiaphas. And Annas, 
who was Caiaphas' father-in-law, had been the former high priest. So those were two names. I'm saying that for a reason. Those were two names of some of the spiritual leaders that were in charge of the mock trial of Jesus. And I'm saying that because those men show up in this passage. So these are the very men and the very crowd of religious leaders who had put Jesus on trial and they had him killed. So this is, this is like seven, eight weeks later. So you have to think Peter and John, they, at least Peter we know from a distance, saw the mock trial. So they knew the power these guys had. They saw what they did to Jesus. All right. So Acts chapter 4, just, I'm just going to read it, and you just, again, try to put yourself into the story. While Peter and John were speaking to the people after the crowd had gathered, they were confronted by the priests and the captain of the temple guard and some of the Sadducees. So they were confronted by the religious people. All right? These leaders were very disturbed. Some versions said they were annoyed. They were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there is a resurrection of the dead. All right? So notice they're upset because Jesus is still in the equation. And they thought they, rid that, they thought they got rid of that problem eight weeks ago. They arrested them. They arrested Peter and John. And since it was already evening, they put them in jail until morning. But many of the people who heard their message believed it. So the number of men who believed now totaled 5,000. So Pentecost, there were 3,000. Now there's more than 5,000 because it just talks about the men. So the church was growing because of this uh, reality of what Jesus was doing. The next day, the council of all the rulers and elders and teachers of religious law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. He was also there when Jesus, he was in charge of Jesus' trial. Along with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other relatives of the high priest. They brought in the two, two disciples and demanded, by what power or in whose name have you done this? I would guess it was an intimidating situation. These guys had power. They had, they had handed Jesus over. Then Peter, and the text says Peter, comma, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, and you might say, which some would say, well, I thought they were filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and the Spirit was poured out on them. But it seems like in the book of Acts, and probably in our lives too, there are moments where the filling of the Holy Spirit is even more necessary in a certain situation. So it's not like once filled, you're full, and you're always filled. I had one professor in seminary said, do you believe in a second filling of the Holy Spirit or a third filling of fourth filling? He said, of course I do, because we leak. So you might be filled with the Holy Spirit, but we're still human. But in, in certain moments, the Bible does say Peter or Philip, whatever, filled with the Holy Spirit. So there was something in that moment where they, obviously the Holy Spirit was doing something. Not unlike can happen to us. It's not... It's the same thing. We're humans just like Peter was. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of the man you crucified that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene. The man you crucified... He's right in their face, like two months ago. The man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scripture where it says, the stone that you build was rejected, he's quoting from the Old Testament, has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, Peter's saying. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see they were ordinary men, 
no special training in the scriptures. They were uneducated. They were Galileans, you know, negative. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. But since they could see the men who had been healed standing right there among them, there was nothing the council could say. So they ordered Peter and John out of the council chambers and conferred among themselves. What should we do with these men? They asked each other. We can't deny that they have performed a miraculous sign and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. Let me stop here for a second. The world, people don't, doing good deeds is a really good thing. People don't mind if we do good things, but there's something in this situation, which is true in our situation, but when you say it's done in the name of Jesus, it's done in the character of Jesus, it's done because of the spirit of Jesus. When Jesus becomes part of the equation, then you have the conflict, even today. People don't mind it if you're a good person. They don't mind if Jeff and Rachel Mart are good people, but if they somehow ask them and they say, well, it's because of Jesus, then the, then the conversation kind of gets, eh. but so they're not being challenged because they healed the guy. They're being challenged because they healed the guy and used the name and called upon the power of Jesus, which these guys, Annas and Caiaphas, and those were really upset about because they thought they rid that problem two months ago. So I'm just saying that uh, I'm not saying interject Jesus into awkward conversations where it doesn't fit, but when it's appropriate, somebody asks you about your life, your family, your decisions in life, your morality, whatever, don't simply say, well, I'm a religious person or I go to church. I, I would even say, don't even say you're a Christian. You are, but talk about Jesus. That's, that's Acts chapter 4. It's like Peter says Jesus like, seems like 20 times. He doesn't really, but it's like he's saying it clearly. He said, so they called the apostles back in and said, don't ever speak or teach in the name of Jesus. And Peter, Peter and John replied. We don't know which one talked. Maybe they talked in unison. Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We can't stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. The council then threatened them further, but they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. For everyone was praising God for this miraculous sign, the healing of a man who had been lame for more than 40 years. So go to the next slide. This is the, this is the reply that Peter gave when they said, uh, how'd, you, how'd you heal this guy? What's the power you called upon? By what power and what name did you do this? And he says, let me clearly state. In some versions it says, let it be known to you. But the idea is, let me be clear about this. It's Jesus. It wasn't us. It wasn't, it's Jesus. So one, one challenge I have for myself and all of us, there may be times where you need to be clear about this. If somebody asks you about your life your, or Jesus. You know, it's, not a magic, it's not a magic word. It's not a magic phrase. But if the real answer is Jesus, then be clear about it with people. If the real reason that, you, that somebody says, how, how can you have that attitude when you're sick or when you're, things are going bad? Well, it's Jesus. And again, it's not, a, it's not a pat answer, but it should be true because it's the spirit of Jesus in us that gives us joy in the midst of sorrow or com- comfort in the midst of fear, right? 
It's Jesus. So when Peter said, let me be clear about this, let it be known to you, I kind of took it as a challenge for me and for us as well. Let be clear about it when those things come up. Um, don't don't apologize for Jesus. Don't like I said. Don't don't throw him out there where it doesn't belong. You know, like you know what I mean. Don't don't force it. I I know people who really kind of resented the fact they felt forced to talk to people about Jesus, and it was more out of guilt and being forced. And it, they they be, they began to dislike even talking about. But he said, you know, look all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus. So they're, they're totally clear. It's not just, you know, we're good Jews. We did it because we're good Jews. We're, we're moral Jews. No, it's Jesus. All right. Then he goes on to say this, there is salvation in no one else. There is salvation in no one else. Pretty clear. He's the one. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. That was offensive to the Pharisees then, but it's offensive, maybe even to us, but it's offensive to our culture now. Because to say this seems a little bit arrogant. Really? No other name? No one else? Salvation, in this case, Paul wasn't necessarily talking simply about uh, going to heaven after you die. Salvation in the sense here is becoming, somebody becoming a whole person again. Somebody becoming the person they were meant to when they were created, meant to be. It was wholeness of life, which, which, of course, results in life with God after we die. But Paul was saying you can't become the kind of person that we all want to be apart from the work of Jesus. You can't. And, and I, he says no one else, no other name. Jesus himself said in John 15, no one comes to the Father except through me. Paul says in Philippians, he has the name above every other name. And again, if you're like me, the first reaction often is, oh, that feels kind of arrogant to say that to people in Bloomington or people in your neighborhood. And uh, because it feels like we're saying we have the right answer and they don't. You know, if you're Buddhist or if you're Seventh-day Adventist or if you're Muslim or if you're Mormon, we're right and you're wrong. And I'll stop there. That's not the way, that it, it's not that we're right and we're wrong. I read this in a book years ago. I really liked the way the author said it. We believe that Jesus is right about himself. So I'm not saying I'm right and Alan, you're wrong because you're the wrong religion. I'm saying, no, I, I believe Jesus is right about who he said he was. He's right in everything. I trust him. So then it becomes more of not of just verbal arguing. It's no, I just, I believe he's right in what he said about himself. And if you unpack what he said about himself and what the Bible says about him, it's pretty clear that there is salvation in no one else. Jesus believed that about himself. So if, if you enter a conversation with the idea that you want to win the conversation, you will lose the conversation because that's not the spirit of Jesus. The conversation is not about winning your point of view is there. It's simply saying, I, I just believe Jesus was right in what he said about himself. I believe, his, if he was, I believe God was in him in an unprecedented way. I believe he was the most unique person to walk the earth. And I believe that by his own words and his teaching, by his own admission, as well as the followers who followed him, who saw him crucified, they, they claimed there was no other way. And so... I, 
I'm a Christian, and I'm thinking you would say the same thing. I'm a Christian because I trust Jesus. I have confidence in him in ways that I, I don't think I could ever have in Joseph Smith or Buddha or Muhammad or anybody else who claims a different kind of way to be whole and know God. And again, it sounds arrogant, but it's not if we put the emphasis on Jesus. I, I trust him. He's right about what he said about himself. And the Bible, even you know, the Galatians, Paul says, talk about Jesus. He's the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created. He is supreme above all creation. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else. And he holds all creation together. So then the challenge for us becomes, how do we, how do we enter into those kind of conversations with the spirit of Jesus, which is humble and gracious and kind and forgiving, while at the same time holding on to the firm conviction that there is no one like him. So again, it's because we believe Jesus is right and we trust him. So, and that's what drew the, the antagonism from these religious leaders. And that is what will draw the antagonism from any of our friends, neighbors, or family members who aren't followers of Jesus. And I'm not saying we should invite that. I'm not saying we should invite an antagonistic relationship. But the Bible tells us, Jesus even said to the disciples, people are going to hate you because of me. That's a pretty strong phrase. Because the world will hate you because of me. And we don't want to be hated. We don't do things to be stupid, to be jerks, to be hated. But if we clearly believe that the life of Jesus, his spirit is changing us, and we say that, Peter, let me be clear about this, then um, we wish, I wish, the world would be more accepting of us when we talk about Jesus, but they're not, because Jesus said they're not going to be. So it's this delicate, so you might say, and I'll get to why does that matter to us here in a second, you might say, well, so are we saying the Buddhists are wrong, or Muslims are wrong, and Jesus simply saying Jesus is right. So, and Jesus, I've said this before, there is one way to God, it's through Jesus. And hear me on this, there's many ways to Jesus. And I don't mean you can get to Jesus through other religions, but Jesus is pretty creative about how he calls people. Jesus can go get people from any religious background. So again, my confidence is in Jesus. If there's, because I think what sometimes we can, what, what can happen, I think, well, if Jesus is just the way for us Americans born in this century who were born into Christian homes, if, if that's all it is, then if there's other options, I think what happens is, I know for me, then I start trusting Jesus less with everything in my life. If there's other ways that are valid, then I trust Jesus for me as an American Christian, but I'm not going to give him 100% because I don't really know. So part of this believing there is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved, part of that is because that fuels our trust in him. If I'm not convinced there's, there might be other ways to become a whole person, and it may not be other religions. For us, it might be, if, boy, if I just had the right kind of cars or house or wife or family. But if you believe there's any other way to become whole, salvation, whole, there's any other way for you to be the whole person you long to be, 
If there's any way for you to do it, you, we will do that. That's the human nature. But if I believe only through what Jesus will do for me and only through my absolute reckless abandon trust in him, can I become the person I want to be? So that where, that where it gets closer to home for us is, okay, I'm, I'm not a Buddhist. I'm not a Muslim. I'm not a Seventh-day Adventist. I'm not a Mormon. I'm not an atheist. But then the question is, are you trusting in other things apart from Jesus to bring you wholeness and happiness and joy? Is it your bank account? Is it your relationships? Is it your job or your future or your health? Are those things what's going to... That's no different than trusting in other religions. Because the whole point that Paul's Peter, Peter and John are saying here, which is attributed to the whole book of Acts, is Jesus is right about himself. And he's right, if he's right about himself, then everything he says can be trusted. He tells us, I will never abandon you. He tells us, I will... I, I will always be with you. He tells us in moments of crisis, we will know what to say because the Holy Spirit will tell us. Jesus says a lot of things that if we truly, myself included, all of us, if we truly believed all that he said about himself and started acting in that way, it would, it would have, our lives would be radically transformed. And this is the people we would be. Like I said in the title, we would become like Peter, John, Philip and others in the book of Acts who did incredible things. It's not because they have a separate kind of spiritual uh, fountain available to them. We have the same fountain as the Holy Spirit. But it's because some, they had absolute confidence and they threw their whole lot in with, there's no other, there's no other way. There's nothing else that's going to make me whole. Even Peter said when Jesus said, are you guys going to leave too? Where else are you going to go? Whereas me... I like, well, where else am I going to go? Well, if I, I'll trust Jesus, but I sure would like more money. I trust Jesus, but I sure would like better relationships. I trust Jesus, but I, instead of saying, just I'm going to trust Jesus, I'm going to be desperate for his leadership in my life. And that will take care of those other issues, not in a way that I'm going to be like wealthy or have great, you know. But if I trust Jesus, all that he says about me, and am I willing to throw my lot completely in with him, which the disciples obviously did, then it changes everything. So again, my, my series title, and some of it was driven by this, was this is who we are. We're, 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 we can be as bold as Peter and John are in this situation. I mean, they were facing incredible intimidation. These guys already had them arrested, and they knew what they could do. Just a few chapters later, James is beheaded. John's brother. So things don't always get rosy when you throw your trust onto Jesus. So here Peter and James were bold. We can be bold. This is who we are. They were clear. This is who we are. They saw opportunity. This is who we are. So it's not making opportunities. It's not, it's just they were living life and opportunities became clear to them. They spoke clearly about Jesus because they knew that that's the only way that supernatural change would happen in people's lives. So, I was, I was looking through my notes. I've probably te- taught or preached through the book of Acts. I don't know. This is probably my fourth time. Even back to the 90s, I did it with college students. And I've had in my notes in a lot of places, we need to expect that God can do supernatural things in our lives and through our lives. So that was true. 1995, when I first taught college students at 2006. I can see all my sermons. I see when they're dated, 2006. Now, have I seen any 
supernatural phenomena, little things happening in the last 40 years or 30 years of my life in ministry. Nothing like you see in Acts. But can I still expect it? I still want to expect it. I never want to get to the point where I think, ah, I'm not sure that's going to happen. No, I can always expect it. We can always expect it. So the two, the two words I put in my conclusion on my notes is trust. You can trust Jesus absolutely and expect. Expect. Not that you're going to have an opportunity this afternoon to pray for somebody for healing or talk about Jesus, but expect it to happen so when it does, you'll recognize it. You'll know this is, this is Holy Spirit right now. And who, who knows? I was just, just the other day I was talking to somebody who I knew from another church years ago, and I, I just say, I, I never want to stop expecting the supernatural ways that God can move in our in my life, in my family, whether it's revival. I never want to stop expecting that. I never want to get to the place, and I hope none of us do, where we're just like, well, this is as good as it gets. Yeah, we've got to live life the way it is now, but we can always expect and pray for the things that we know God can do that are, that are incredible. So um, go to the next slide, and then we'll take communion. So this, this, at the end of Acts 4, and I'll finish with this, end of Acts 4, Peter and John, were take, they were let go because they said, we can't do anything because if we try to punish them, we're going to have a riot. Goes, they go back to uh, somebody's house where other Christians were, and this, so they, they got together and they prayed, and they prayed boldly in response to all this. And this was their prayer. This is the end of the prayer. They said the people, they all raised their voices. So I'm imagining a house full of really loud people, all right? They said, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness while you stretch out your hand and heal. Signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. That's what I want us to still expect. That's not an old promise that's dead. It's not a promise that was just for them then. It's a promise that God can still do those things now. So let me pray. So God, I I do pray for us. Uh, 2023, many people here have been following you, Jesus, for years and years and years. And I just pray by your Holy Spirit you would continue to raise our expectation and our, our desire to ask you what they asked you here in Acts 4 is that you would give us great boldness in talking about you, Jesus, and that you would stretch out your hand and do mighty things, signs and wonders they even prayed for. And that's not simply a past tense prayer. That's something we can ask for because we want to see more people, Jesus, trust you, more people follow you, not for the sake of numbers or saying we win or look how successful the Christian church is. We want that because that's the only way those people, our friends, our neighbors, and even some of our family members, that's the only way they will become the whole people full of joy and full of peace. It's the only way that can happen for them. So we want that for that reason. We want revival for that reason. We want the Holy Spirit to do incredible things for that reason. We want signs and wonders and healing for that reason. Because we want others to know the fullness of joy that comes with Jesus. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.